You are listening to Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. I'm your host, Pat Ivey. And I'm your co-host, Mackenzie. And thanks for tuning in to another episode. Culture of accountability is when a lot of your athletes are doing what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing, how they're supposed to be doing it. Competence. Do your athletes know what they're supposed to be doing so that they can do what they're supposed to be doing? Are they committed? Will they see it from the start to the finish? Will they complete the task? Are they consistent? Okay, today's guest, I'm going to read off his bio. 2015 NFL Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year, Professional Football Strength and Conditioning Coaches Association. 2013 National Strength and Conditioning Association Professional Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year with the NSCA. 2009 Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coaches Association Master Strength and Conditioning Coach with the CSCCA. 2002 NSCA Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year. 2000 NSCA Mountain West Conference Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year author of Push, Jump, Punch, a developmental process for teaching the athlete to power clean. Also author, the coach's strength training playbook for football. Coach Ken's mission, as he is in the midst of his third decade as a physical preparation specialist, is to make a significant impact in the betterment of the field of strength and conditioning slash performance for like-minded up-and-coming coaches. He has dedicated his career to paying it forward with his experiences and improving the status of our field. In addition to the two books Coach Ken has authored, Coach has been he's published in journals such as Strength and Conditioning, the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, Human Movement, as well as Muscle and Fitness, Men's Fitness, Scholastic Coach, and Powerlifting USA. Coach Ken is a highly sought-after speaker at the national stage having spoken at the National Strength and Conditioning Association National Coaches Conference, the Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Association's National Conference, Nike Coach of the Year Clinics, Hammer Strength Clinics, and Glazier Clinics. He has also spoken overseas in the United Kingdom Strength and Conditioning Association's National Conference. Coach Ken likes to remind people that he has coached athletes across many sports, male and female, from ages 10 to all pros. Coach Ken has coached on the high school level, as in the private sector, he had a 19-year career as a collegiate coach at Boise State, Utah, Arizona State, and Louisville, and now enters his seventh season as a professional strength and conditioning coach in the NFL with the Carolina Panthers. Coach Ken has a bachelor's degree in science and health in sports science, as well as master's of arts in education with an emphasis in curriculum and instruction. He holds several of the top certifications in our field. And without further ado, I bring to you Coach House Joe Ken. Appreciate the intro, uh, intro. Coach Dr. Pat Ivey and his <laughs> Matt. And just because you know how important years are in the NFL, I'm entering my ninth season. So I'm getting close to double digits. So I mean, I, and if I can make it to the first game, this will be the longest tenure <laughs> job I've ever, I've ever had in coaching. Wow. Like fine wine. You just keep getting better. 
something like that. <laughs> in dog years, that's got to be like a hundred years. So yeah, same mean, thing. Pat, Pat knows the NFL man. That's a you know it, it, the time goes fast, and to be in going into year nine is just a truly humbling experience because I look at it no different than a player. I mean, these years are just a an enjoyment and a value and to be a part of it for this long it's a truly unique situation there's only 32 of these jobs in the entire world and to to have one of them is a blessing but to be here uh, closing in on a decade is something that i never really could have imagined that it would occur but a lot of people have helped put me in a position to uh reap the benefits that's 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 awesome and yeah i know you've been coaching for a long time and you figured something out because you definitely have figured out the longevity piece, uh, which this field of strength and conditioning, it is like being a pro athlete. You do have to do demonstrations. You have to be on your A game. The hours are long. You do have to use your body as a tool to demo. So you've got something figured out, coach. Well, I think, one, this this job is a lot different than a lot of the coaching jobs because uh, physical preparation and training with weights is something that you could do as a lifelong process. I know uh, you can do that in some of the other sports too. I mean, obviously there's some sports that have less violence and physical contact that you could play for a long, long time after your alleged career is over. Uh, football's not one of them. You're not going to mm-hmm. see guys playing football in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. And when you when you're a strength coach, I think it's imperative that you train. I, I mean, I've been quoted as saying in an article, you give me a strength coach who doesn't lift weights, I'm not listening to that strength coach. And just like uh, if you don't, if you're, you call yourself a speed coach and you're not at least attempting to continue to practice your trade because you can, uh, I don't, you know, these are guys, this is how you earn respect for your, from your athletes is still doing what is your significant importance in your trade. I mean, obviously, for me, I'm not going to consider myself a speed guy. Uh, hopefully, you have some, you have individuals on your, on your staff that can can help you with that. I mean, I, I, you know, Pat, you've seen it. It's it's all everything is based on perception. I mean, I had guys that worked for me that were, you know, skilled athletes, so to speak. You know, wide receivers, defensive backs, and I taught them about forty yard dash training, and you'd think they were the all-time professionals because fast guys are going to listen to dudes who look like they're fast. <laughs> Just like if you look strong, they're going to look – guys who want to get strong are going to look to those guys. So you, when you don't look the part, you have to be more knowledgeable than those who look the part for a specific aspect of what we do. So that's where you have to learn how to play the game. You have to surround yourself with good people. And that's in, – in the end, you you got to be able to – Commit to yourself the programming in a way that it is reliable, no matter what setting you're in. And that's one of the things like you asked, you know, how you get to be where you are from 30 years is you develop a plan and you continue to tighten the screws rather than throw it out the window, which many guys do when the Nets fad comes in and and you become a sustainable entity. And anything that is sustainable over time is going to be successful. And I think the processes that we started early in the, in the early 90s that I was able to 
you know, be creative in my role as a graduate assistant and then to have the athletes at Boise State believe in what we were doing to a point that not only were we successful on the field, but we became very successful in the chances of being a winning program and not just in one sport, but in multiple sports. When I was at the Big Sky, we won the the championship trophy for the all-conference titles numerous times. So when you have that type of success, it makes it easy for the next group of athletes coming in and for the next group of coaches coming in to at least give it an honest assessment. So that that's that's the big thing is I think now, you know, we talked a little bit, everybody's looking for the next best thing. Sometimes the next best thing is already on your roster. And so I, I like that you spoke to how important it is to have the people around you, you know, like you were saying, you can't necessarily be the fast guy, the strong guy, you know, that like you can't be everything. And so how important the staff is, the people that you have around you, your ability with all of those people to create buy-in and really get athletes to commit to the program. I guess, you know, how long would you say for some of the younger coaches out there, because this might be a point of frustration, how long would you say that if, you know, perfect scenario, you've got all those people and you're all super smart, even with all that, how long would you say that it takes athletes to really buy in and trust that you and your staff know what you what you guys are doing? Well, the first the first thing is they have to know that, you know, you've heard the frosty, I think it's what's it, frosty wrestling quote, they don't know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yep. And again, when I first started, it was a different, it was a tough love type of caring. <laughs> I think my evolution as a coach, I don't regret how I coached when I first started because you learn and you adapt from what you know and what you saw occur f- from your own experiences. And then you develop as you see things develop. So, you know, I think my biggest trait that I've learned from the NFL is the the communication process. And if I went back to the college level or if I coached a high school athlete, although I learned a lot from coaching high school athletes too, but if I went back to the college setting, I know I would be twice the coach I was when I left. And it has nothing to do with programming. It has to do with how I would be able to communicate and get my point across without being the, the negative, uh, Pat knows what I'm saying. Like you, you try to negatively reinforce and say things that probably undermine, and then you try to build a guy back up. I, I think I've, I'm far past that. I don't have to use that kind of psychological warfare, so to speak, that's been utilized in the past to get my point across. But going back to the original question, I think. The first thing you realize is you have to surround yourself with the right staff because what I learned is you're not going to be able to reach every athlete on your on the team or in the entire athletic department because personalities just don't work that way. So the first thing you learn is never hire yourself. And what I mean by that is you have a certain demeanor, you have a, even a certain, you know, pizzazz or stature to yourself you, you already got that guy so you don't need two of them or you don't you you find people that bring different things to the to the party so to speak from a personality standpoint 
because that is how some ways you will win trust in athletes you're having a hard time getting across to because you have somebody you can lean on to help foster a relationship between you and said athlete. So the first thing is finding the staff that creates a uniqueness as far as different personality traits to give us a chance to be successful with athletes. It doesn't just because I'm the alleged head guy doesn't mean that I have to be 100% with these athletes. It's just not going to work that way. I mean, people get frustrated for different things and people just don't see eye to eye a lot of times. So you got to have that person that that holds more value than how much they know in the weight room because a smart leader can teach you what he need what they need to know. And and the other thing is you recruit the best coaches that are available regardless of experience, gender, uh, chronological age, what school they came from, because none of that matters to the athlete. They could care less who's coaching them as long as they know they're getting coached and that you're showing a and sincere interest in their abilities. The, the biggest thing I've learned in the NFL, and again, these are things that in, unless you've been in the NFL, you cannot really – bring things back to the college level because you've not experienced it. So for me, I'm so fortunate because I've experienced every level in the private sector. So when anybody talks about a certain level, I have enough experience to understand where they're coming from. But the, the communication and the ability to build a relationship at this level is so much different because you're, de- you're dealing with adults. And sometimes I think we forget that the college kids, even though they are younger, they are young adults. And sometimes we don't treat them that way. And I think sometimes that leads to a lack of confidence in what you're doing. The next, the next, the biggest thing is, you know, showing the effort to, that you want them to be better. I mean, this isn't, you know, we designed a program that in 1992 broke a lot of rules from said lifting parameters. But in the end, I was training athletes that played team sports. I wasn't training athletes that competed in uh, strength disciplines. So there were no rules. People just wanted to assign rules because we were primarily at those points in in the early 90s and late 80s, we were primarily training sport with a sport. You were going to train the athletes based on what you how you were brought up. So if you were Olympic lifting people, you were bringing Olympic lifting programming into the, into the, into the athletic frame. If you were a power lifter, you brought in a power lifting program. If you were a bodybuilder, you brought in a bodybuilding program. But the, but the truth is when you study the complexities of all those sports, all those sports have a certain amount of positive aspects that make up what I consider an athletic based strength training program. And you can even nowadays throw in some of the, principles from strongman training and CrossFit. I used to just call it the three strength disciplines, but uh, recently and in a, and in a clinic I'm hosting at my house in a couple of weeks, I'm going to bring up this five, this five pronged approach because there are uniquenesses in strongman and, and some of the CrossFit types of things. Not that I am a hundred percent in agree with some of the volumes and some of the extremities they do in certain things, but there are concepts that have relatability to training athletes. That's that's how you win. You win. You win over the women's basketball coach by not giving them last year's football program. <laughs> you win over. You win over the volleyball team by not giving them, you know, the red shirt football program. That, and 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 in some cases, it's just a tweak here, a tweak there, because we all know 
all three of those sports still need some type of pull, squat, and press. I mean, it's just the way it is. So, again, the 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 extravagance of a weight training program to me is negligible because no matter you could have an exercise pool of a million exercises. What what I found out after thirty years, I'm always coming back to about twenty. Yeah. Because there's no if ands, ways, or buts around it. These are the things that are going to be able to enhance the desired measurables that these athletes need to succeed when their specific sport coach teaches in their skills. So in the end, you got to find those people who are like-minded to you. You, When you're hiring a staff, and I've made mistakes uh, based off of people I trusted recommendations, and I'm not saying that these people weren't good coaches, but they weren't good coaches for our program. Does that make sense? Yeah, I actually, I love how you made that differentiator because there is, you know, each program has its own sets of needs and head coaches with their wants and, you know, different athletes, different requirements. So I think that makes a ton of sense that, you know, a super great coach may not be a super great coach for a specific program. So I think that was really well said. This podcast is sponsored by Soranex Exercise Equipment. Since 1980, Sornex has been a family-owned business, responsible for legendary innovations and training solutions that have changed the face of strength training. Today, Sornex is the most sought-after strength brand for professional teams, colleges, high schools, and military units. During this process of growth, our clients have become an extended family to us, part of our brotherhood, our culture. We want to thank you, our customers, friends, and family for being the foundation on which Sornex is built. We promise to do our best to continue to serve you with the best strength training equipment and service in the industry. I, I, I keep up with you on social media and you always use this hashtag. It's called words win. And can you tell us what does that mean uh, to you? And why, why do you use that? Yeah, so words win is something that's kind of funny how it developed into my hashtag. And people go, oh, yeah, words win. But then, you know, actions speak louder than words. I get all that because the the true dynamics of it came uh, in the early 2000s when, you know, we started these, you know, team type discussions and building leadership groups. Because, again, the lack of leadership that is being established in college football or any college athletics is not a is, is a problem to me because I believe a lot of leadership has been displaced or the establishment of people learning how to lead because everything below high school has become organized to the adolescent and pre-progressant athlete. Nothing is led by, nothing is peer-led. It's all coach-fed. And I mean by that is when I grew up and probably when Pat grew up in that time period, Free play meant show up at a park on Saturday. Uh, you're from, I'm from Inwood, and my buddy Charlie Trotter is from Cedarhurst, and we'll meet at, uh, you know, the high school, and we'll choose up sides and play basketball or play tackle football. But when we all got there, somebody had to pick the sides. So you automatically started seeing who wanted to be the leaders, that you'd see which group of guys fought to be the captains versus which group of guys hit in the back because they didn't want to get picked. That's that's almost like evolution. That That's teaching you who's going to be the people when they get to high school that you're going to count on to be 
possibly the captains of a team versus those who are going to be the worker bees. And there's nothing wrong with being a worker bee. You can't have 500 people on a team be leaders. And what happened was we had to start developing leadership as a classroom setting. We, and everybody's doing it. They're paying, schools are paying people 25, 35, 45, $100,000 a year for leadership programs when the truth is we blew it because now we throw our kids in organized sports at four and five and the coach dictates who the captains are, who the leaders are, and God forbid you're playing football because if you're the head coach and you got your son on the team, he's the quarterback guaranteed. You know, uh, adolescent and high school football, the quarterback's the most political position in the history of all sports, and especially when parents are involved. Right. So we've blown it on leadership. So we learned a lot my years with Dirk Cutter about establishing, you know, a culture, values, things that were now is 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 you hear it every day. Back then, we were one of the first teams that was doing that. And we established a bunch of values and and things like that for our team. But the words win came the year after when we had a coaching change. And Dennis Erickson came in and started talking about words win. And what words win is it's a hypo- it's a hypothesis. As. So it's, it's not words win as in words win, although I use it at that at times. But it's the word is win, meaning we're here to win. And nothing else matters but winning. Now. The process came because winning we winning was on the scoreboard for in that case. Like our goal was to win every game. And I learned a lot from Dennis Erickson. I've learned a lot from every head coach I, I've worked for. But what I saw words win as a mantra and as a very simple, you know, mantra statement instead of a mission statement, like I love mission statements that are two paragraphs long. There's nobody in the world who can memorize a two paragraph long mission statement. I never could understand how 90% of organizations' mission statements are more than a sentence. It doesn't make sense. So I, I, I come into mission mantras and my, my life mission mantra is words win as in the word is win, win in life, win the day. It's not just about the X's and O's, although that's important in our career choices, but it's about the choices we make, controlling controlling all the attitude on which you wake up. Everything is based off of attitude. So it's more about life lessons and values and trying to be uh, see all the positives. Like I tell our rookies, you know, they, they don't like to play or you know, they don't get to play because of the way the things are. Man, I want to get out there. I said, hey, man, j- just be happy you're here. I said, there's guys like me who wish they had the chance to get cut. And they look at you funny. But what I mean by that is I would have just loved the fact that somebody cut me because that would have meant I got here as a player. So I, I tell try to get things to look at it from the standpoint of everything that you've accomplished from a positive light. Like I don't look at it like I blew my knee out twice and I only and I only and I didn't get to start for four years. I look at it like I started 22 straight games as a college football player. There's a lot of people that wish they could have done that. So that's kind of how it it turned into, and then then in this day and age of hashtags, it was just a simple mantra to put out there. And then I've written an article about it. It's on my website that goes a little deeper and things. And and I've kind of expanded it even more in my own personal deal. And, and again, that doesn't make me a hundred percent, a hundred percent perfect. I mean, I've 
my oldest son does a good job of checking me when I when I try to say these things out loud, and then sometimes I don't back it up in my own in my own house. So no one's perfect, but at least it gives you a reference points to refer back to and to try to find out ways to help self correct yourself and put you on a path of the to the best you can uh, positivity and and shutting out negativity. I don't, you know, you're not going to like everybody. Everybody's not going to like you, and in the end. If somebody is not on my light side and they're on my dark side, I, I don't, uh, you know, they, they, they're non-existent. I, I have no time for that. I've been, I've been doing this for a long time, and I, my family's been uh, made a lot of sacrifices. So I'm not, I'm not into that stuff anymore. I'm into looking at what can I do to continue to make a positive impact on my family, make a positive impact on the people that are surrounded by me and my athletes, and most importantly. From a professional standpoint, how can I pay it forward to at least educate the younger generation who's willing to listen? Yeah. yeah. And coach, so my first interactions with you uh, was reading your book. And I, let me tell you, I, I know I've told you this story before, but I just want to re, um, say it for our listeners. It was because um, you talk about your words and your words have always meant a lot to me. Back in uh, 2000 and Two, it was my first year being a director. I was at the University of Tulsa and we were playing uh, Minnesota Gophers. And it's my first, it's the night before the first game. We're playing in Minnesota. They had two running backs on their team. One name was Lawrence Maroney and the other name was Marion Barber. Yeah, both, both NFL players. <laughs> both NFL players. So I wasn't sleeping very much the night before. And uh, I remember uh, the Rusty Bernie, who was one of my assistants, he had your book and he was asleep. And I took the book off the nightstand and went to the bathroom and I uh, read half of your book that night because I was up. I figured if I was going to be up, I was going to uh, learn something. I remember the impact uh, that that book had and, and just um, it was it was a real important part of uh, my learning process. Uh, what, what was it that led you to just write that book? Because most strength coaches don't do that. They don't write, they don't put what they do out there, but you do. Well, I'll be honest with you, Pat. It's kind of funny because you're right. We don't. And I just felt like, well, it goes back actually to before that book was written. It actually goes back to the first article I wrote. Uh, about the tier system in 1997, I think it was it was published in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning, and and it wouldn't have been published if it wasn't for my assistant at the time. That most people around athletics and college strength and conditioning know. Rich Gray was one of my assistants at Boise State, and we were just having a lot of success. And again, like you know, if you study it, it kind of bucks some of the trends of what is called traditional lifting. And he's like, you got to write an article on this. And, you know, back then I was just getting in and trying to, like anybody else, uh, you know, make a name for yourself, which now it's called branding. And Rich goes, you should write an article. You should write an article for this. And I said, you know what? And back then, as you remember, you didn't really have to have an article loaded with references. You wrote, you wrote from what you actually were doing in the field. And that's what I used to love about the journal, the journal now to me. And I'm, you know, I've said this out loud at NSCA events, so I have no problem saying it here. 
to me, it's backloaded with too much review of literature. I, I want the traditional, hey, what are you doing? Write it out so we can all learn. And that's why we used to trade you know, college summer manuals back before living on campus for four years straight became the norm. We used to have guys who actually went home and you used to print up manuals and you used to get about 30 or 40 more so you could trade with our coaches around the country and that's how you learned. So I studied all the components of numerous strength coaches, Doc Kreese, Kevin Yoxel, Brock yes. Goldson when he was at Montana State. I mean, we I had legends that were when they were first coming up that people didn't even realize they coached at some of these places. And I just kept looking about a way to and in the beginning it was it was because I was working with mostly Olympic athletes and female athletes and I just didn't feel like they were they necessarily had to lift four days a week. Again, what were we doing? We were basing everything off the football models that everybody was doing upper lower split. But I I had been a my college strength coach was an HIT strength coach, so he believed in three-day whole body, uh, but primarily machines and focusing on one body part per machine or per exercise, but I did believe in complex movements. So um, I get to that point, and we come up with the tier system based off of a structured rotation of exercises. What I, what I learned was that this was unique, and, and I knew it was unique. And Rich said, you got to write this article. You got to write this article. And I'm like, okay, I'll write the article. And what happened was exactly what we knew would have happened. When my so-called peer reviewed, which I didn't recognize anybody on the editorial bus as a strength coach, but as it was peer reviewed, what I found was that these people in, like we knew, they were bashing the program. So I got pissed. Like, I was like, these fools don't know what we're trying to accomplish here. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> trying to justify what I do to these people that I don't know. They ain't in no college weight rooms working like we're working. And Rich was like, no, oh, man, you got you to gotta turn it back in. And at the time, Harvey Newton was the president of the NSCA. And if you know Coach Newton, he's a, he's a proponent. He's a weightlifting guy. Like, he coaches weightlifters. And Rich calls Harvey, which if you know Rich, he usually does a lot of that on his own without no one telling him. And sure enough, Harvey goes, no, you got to get him to finish this article. People need to see this. And I'm like, well, damn, if Harvey Newton's telling me to put this up, that means a lot. And I remember when I first actually presented on it was at a as a clinic Dwight Dobb had at University of Utah the old Rocky Mountain Strength Clinic I don't know I think Pat you'll remember Tom Cross at Northwest Nazarene College absolutely mid-American Nazarene Mid yes mid-American sorry yeah. so I met Coach Cross when he was still at Tulsa so I had known him through because he he had come several years to the uh, to the Rocky Mountain Strength Conference. So I'm up there on the grease board laying out the template, and I know his background is Olympic weightlifting. And the compliments and the that he gave me gave me more confident, gave me more confidence to to move forward. But going back to the article, so I just wrote back when they said, you know, one of the big questions is you can't do a snatch after a squat or an incline. And I said, why not? He goes, well, that's not 
you're breaking. You, that's not the rules of weightlifting. I said, well, I don't train weightlifters. And it was this, that's the simplest justifi justification I could give. Because in the truth is, I needed in my belief system of training athletes who had long duration games with multiple bouts of exercises, we had to find ways to mimic doing things in an explosive component in, in later states of a, of a practice session and or a weight training session. So what, what, what other ways can you do that in a weight room than doing some type of Olympic lift or med ball throw or jump later in the later in the program under a little bit of sense of fatigue to see how well the athlete can hold up how which also gives you a sign on how well your conditioning program's going and if they can mimic high bouts of explosiveness under fatigue then you know you've had the right balance of strength power conditioning and speed and that's when when I turn that stuff in, they really, how, how do you, how can you deny that? Because once you say I'm training athletes versus weightlifting and there's never been anything written that says this is the way you train athletes, this is the way you train a weightlifter, this is the way you train a powerlifter, this is the way you train a bodybuilder. But if everybody, if there was one specific way to train an athlete, we'd all be doing Husker power. Because that was the first that I can remember true documented strength program that was actually out on paper that multiple people could see. And that, and that would tell you that none of these podcasts, none of what you see, there wouldn't, there wouldn't need to be a coaches conference to talk about different ideas because there wouldn't be any different ideas. So I, I always believe in innovation and creativity. And like I always say, when somebody comes up with something, whether I agree with it or not, or whether I implement it or not, so, somebody out there has to be able to take their own leap of faith, have the confidence in themselves, and most importantly, be able to have the wherewithal to fight through the criticism. And, and people want to know why the tier system is worldwide. It's because I didn't give up on it. And that's what young strength coaches do now. They go on this fad for four to eight weeks on what's the hot topics. And then when it doesn't come out to be what they want, they go to the next thing. They don't give it time to, to grow, to, to, to just blossom. And you have to be able to do that. We're in the long game. Strength and conditioning is the long game. I don't care if you're a four, four year quadrennial eligibility requirements for college athlete is a long game. People look at the here and now. I just had a conversation with a, with a guy who deals with high school coaches, I said the problem with high school coaches are they open up they open up their entire toolbox to the ninth grader and want to know why things aren't good going good for the twelfth grader. <laughs> and and those though that is why you have to develop plans that look at all the dimensions of the type of people you're working with. We all started out that way. This isn't uh, to critique and to to criticize because. We all started out with everybody did the same strength program, the ninth grader to the 12th grader, the freshman to the senior. And then when you start to learn more and more about dynamics and, and growth and adaptations, you realize if I'm running the same program for a freshman and a senior, somebody's losing. If I'm writing the program based off of the senior and the upperclassmen, the younger athlete loses. If I write the, the program for the athlete who's just coming out of high school, then the, the seniors lose. So that's where you have to develop your plan 
And, and everything that goes back is you have to find out what's the true integrity of that plan because that's the thing that cannot break. You can develop as much things as you want, but what is the true sustainable entity of what you believe in and you cannot allow yourself to, to break from that mold no matter how much cool stuff you learn, no matter how much things you believe in, that's, that has to stay. And for me, that's that's our structured, organized way of writing programs. So that that's the key. And so we write the article in 1997. It blows up. We get a lot of good feedback from coaches. It's a unique deal. People are into it. Da, 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 da. Well, then we move on. We get an opportunity to go to Arizona State. And again, uh, you know, people, I, I have a lot of credit. I give a lot of credit for people who make long runs at universities and or professional teams or even high schools because there's there's merit in that, man. That's building a true program. And the duration that you can do that is is extremely impressive. My my, my chase was to, to build a program, get it up and running, prove that we have done things that are sustainable, and then move to the next position to see if I could do it again. And you know, after eight years at Boise State working with all the sports, I had a chance to go to Utah. Uh, I was only there two years. I think we made a, a significant impact in a short period of time. But then I had a seven-year run at Arizona State, and that's when it all blew up because now we were at a university that we had resources. We had the financial backing of the athletic department to put together a great staff. We developed one hell of an internship program that was led by a lot of great assistants at the time, Marky Uyama, who's now the head guy at the Minnesota Vikings, Ben Hilgert, who is now the head strength coach at Virginia Tech for football, Josh Storms, who's now the head strength and conditioning coach for football at Memphis, Leanne Blinn, who's now the head sports performance coach back at Arizona State for Olympic. Uh, her, she just helped the hockey team get their first ever bid for the NCAA. So I had great people helping us put this stuff together, and they believed in what we were doing. And, and every sport, we wherever we went, except to when I was football only, every sport in the university utilized the tier system with a hundred thousands of percents of success. I mean, Ben Hilger got three national titles working with the track team with the tier system. So we've had success regardless of athletes because the template, there's something about the template. It's, it doesn't matter what cycles you use. It doesn't matter what exercises you choose it. But the fact that that structured rotation of exercises keeps you in a whole body approach, which athletics is, it's a whole body game, allows you to do more things outside of weightlifting in the work week. You can do a better job in conditioning. You can do a better job in sprint mechanics. You can add extras like Pilates and or whatever is the new the new gimmicks that we're going to do, a movement prep or uh, functional movement screen uh, deficiency programs or whatever you want to call it. We call them blitz packages, working on weaknesses or improvement areas. And, and that's the key. And when the and when we were getting that done, that's when Mark and Cheyenne Petrie, who was one of my top assistants at the time and who played for me at Boise and went to Utah with me, they were like, man, you got to write a book. And I'm like, man, man, I mean, I knew how hard it was just getting an article etiquette letter or a book. But I felt that something that I created to help benefit the athletes I worked with had enough uniqueness and had something that had different to offer than what most people saw that I owed it. I, I felt I owed it to the athletes that I didn't coach, that if their coach got it in their hands, I didn't want to say, you have to do this program like a lot of people, but at least 
My ultimate goal when I speak is that I stimulate enough thought to get you thinking on how to improve the program you have, not to take mine and say, oh, I'm just like we just said, I'm flipping the switch to the tier system. That was never my goal. Just like most of the coaches that worked work, worked with me and when they left, they've kind of broken away from tier system methodology because I the way I mentored them and the way I taught them was, this is how we do it under me. I want you to be creative enough to know that I don't expect you to do this when you when you're your own head guy. I expect you to do what you believe in. And hopefully this can be a foundation to build something for yourself. So this isn't about I got 47 strength coaches out there that work for me and they all do the tier system. This was giving them a growth mindset to know that there's a lot of ways to skin the cat. Obviously I think the way I do it is up there with the best of them. But in the end, at least I gave them the ability to understand what a true organized program looks like. And wherever they did and however they did it, they were going to be better off for it. I think just by the number of names and the number of stories, I think it's very evident that you did just that. It's the I, it made me think of how if you teach if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. If you teach a man a fish, he eats for life. And so that that sounds like that's really your goal is essentially to teach strength coaches how to fish. Um, so I think that was that was a really cool story and and going from the article to the book and all that. Um, before we wrap it up here, I do have a quick question because um, your nickname it's obviously not a common one. So how did you get your nickname? Is there, I, I'm assuming there's a story behind it. So I bet that all of our, our listeners would love yeah, to. Yeah, I have lots of nicknames and. Yeah, all right, house, your main. I like to call it. So I used to be big house when I was at boy. Well, it went like this. It was when I was in college, what year was I going into? I was probably going into my junior year and. You know, we never back then. There wasn't enough bowl games to go to, and at that time, we were we were we actually could have went to. Man, I would have went to a lot of bowl games if it was this day and age. But back then, man, you had to win like nine or ten games to go to a bowl game in the eighties. So we were always home for break for five or six weeks. Which back then, I didn't know any different. Now, as a coach, I'm like, man, we can't give these guys five or six weeks off. But I love lifting, so I went back and I lifted with all my buddies and. You know, like anything else, you start maturing and things. And I was young. I went to school. I was a 17-year-old high school senior. So I went, my first year of college, I was 17 years old when I got on campus. I didn't turn 18 till mid mid-season. So I was a year chronologically behind as far as growth and development of most of the people that I that I was playing college football with. So I come back, and back then, you 300 pounds was still an anomaly. If you weighed 300, you were like a freak or so to speak. And I came back uh, my junior year, like 285. And one of the older guys who was getting ready for the pros was like, damn, man, you came back as big as a house. What have you been doing over there? I said, man, we've just been over there banging weights. And so uh, at that time, so about 1987 is when house came along. Some guys said big house, but it was mostly, it was mostly house. It didn't become big house until, I came back to Wake Forest after two years of coaching high school because that's when I got into powerlifting. And I, I played my last year over 300. But when you don't have to play football anymore and you can lift and you can pack all muscle and not have to run and not have to take a beating, the 300 that I came back with was a lot different. And then so the guys that I had played with that I was now coaching, that became big house. And I was big house all the way through 
my almost my entire college career towards the end i kind of started dropping the big because i didn't want to be 330 and barely could breathe walking five yards from one area of the field to the other <laughs> and now now i'm now i'm house doggy we call everybody doggy <laughs> so sometimes it's just doggy and uh, but uh, yeah so now it's house doggy or just straight doggy yeah yeah, so it's a, you know, like I said, we've got, yeah, we're, we're, we have our own little language down in our weight room that makes it pretty cool. It's a fun environment. We've got a great bunch of guys. We start back up Monday and we're one of the very fortunate groups where we'll have a hundred percent of our guys here on site for the next nine weeks, which makes, makes it for a good t- ability to build an NFL team and get ready for the upcoming season. Well, House, it's been a pleasure having you here. I've seen you, Coach. I've been down to visit you with the uh, Panthers. It's a it's a amazing experience. The way you interact with your players, and uh, you are an excellent family man. I, I met your wife before, Ange, and um, and and you post pictures about your son. You you have a lot of depth to you. You are. A, much more than a strength coach, husband, father, uh, role model. Uh, and I'm thankful for you and what you've done for the profession of strength and conditioning. Uh, can you tell our listeners how they can find you? Yeah, before that, man, I want to say I appreciate you having me on, Pat and Mac. Uh, Pat, you know, I mean, we've gone through, we've learned a lot from each other, and it's been great watching you grow. And, and I love the fact that these positions that you now are in, uh, hopefully become more uh, mainstays in the university setting, something I would definitely be interested in. So thanks for paving the way for the next level of what a strength coach can aspire to be. And from for me, I'm very simple. It's uh, at Big House Power on Instagram and Twitter. That's awesome. Oh, oh, oh yeah, my, web, my, my website, www bighousepower.com and if, if you are interested in any of our products we do have a store on that that you can check out excellent thank you so much it's been a pleasure yes thank you it's coach. been great have a great evening we appreciate you guys for having me it was well worth staying up for <laughs> now I'm all right go uh, hit the weights tomorrow morning all right have a great off season coach I will see thanks pat take care Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Soranex Exercise Equipment. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. You can find show notes and more at beyondsetsandreps.com. That's B-E-Y-O-N-D-S-E-T-S-A-N-D-R-E-P-S dot com.